Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks. Of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, the founder of Nitro, the creator of the NWO, your friend and mine, Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I am just blessed. There's no other way to say it. I like that attitude. Well said, kind sir. What's going on with you this fine Saturday morning as we record in advance of Monday's 83 Weeks Drop? Well, we've got a beautiful day here in Yellowstone country. It's about, it's going to see about 45 degrees today, sunny, no wind. It's, it's like a beautiful spring day and it's been cold here, man. It's been down to zero below zero. So when you get a day like this, it's, uh, I, you know, no jacket running around. I might even throw on a pair of shorts later. Mrs. B and I are going to drive up to Billings, Montana, as soon as I'm done with the show. Is we got to drop a vehicle off up there to get some service and uh, do a little, do a little shopping, find some things that we can't get here in Cody. But uh, looking forward to it, man. I love a good road trip. I'll throw my dog in a truck. Me and Nikki will drive up there together. Mrs. B is going to follow us, so it's going to be a nice, a nice short little road trip on a beautiful day. I'm looking forward to it. What type of shopping do you do in Billings? I realize that you live in one of the most remote areas of the world, so I understand Billings is. Is that the largest town near you within John? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And look, I, I would, if I, if I want a hundred million dollars in a lottery tomorrow, I would still live where I live. This is right. my favorite place on the planet for me and Mrs. B and my dog, Nikki, but it does come with some challenges when yes. it comes to accessibility to certain things. And, you know, we've got grocery stores and we've got all the stuff here, but when like, there's a whole foods, there's an organic food store up in Billings where we can just get things that we would otherwise have to order. So whenever we go up there for any reason, we usually stop in and pick up some of the things that we can't find as easily here in Cody, but uh, yeah, we're going to shop for some organic food. Doesn't that sound exciting? <laughs> It does. I, uh, I'm actually being forced to do that today too, as, uh, you probably know my routine better than most Megan handles all that. But tonight we are uh, entertaining, uh, a couple of friends named Cassio and big booty Judy. And so we're going to, uh, when we wrap up today, we too are going to head over to a whole foods and maybe fresh market and pick up some things for tonight's, uh, gathering and fellowship. But before we jump into our topic today, which is going to be an awesome one. We're talking about the formation of the wolf pack. Uh, you want to talk about the hottest angle there ever was it's the NWO. And we're going to talk about a derivative of that. How about that? The derivative. I like that. I like the word derivative, the red and black attack. Here we go. But before we do, we lost, I, I feel like we're saying this a lot on the show lately. And I hope that this is the last time we have to talk about something like this for a long time. We lost a member of our wrestling community, a pretty well-liked guy. We had him at Starcast, uh, the very first one in Chicago. Of course, he famously uh, came to the ring that night with uh, Black Machismo, Jay Lethal. Sadly, Lanny Poffo, no longer with us, just 68 years old. Uh, of course, he's the brother of Randy Macho Man Savage. And there's a pretty legendary story about his involvement or lack thereof in WCW. and. I know that he was under contract to WCW, but I don't know that you guys ever spent much time together. Do you have any stories or recollection of spending any time or having any conversations with Mr. Poffo? You know, I did Conrad, but not while we worked together. You know, I, I won't go into the Randy Lanny, how Lanny came aboard. We've we've covered that 
Um, but I didn't, you know, like a lot of guys, you know, the talent in particular, um, I never really got to know a lot of them personally. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't get to know Lanny while he worked for me at, at WCW, but I did run into Lanny a couple of years ago. We were at a convention together. I don't remember where it was. Doesn't matter. And we ended up on a, uh, a, a van that was transporting a bunch of us from the hotel to the convention center where we were, where we were signing autographs and taking photos and things like that. Meet and greet. And we started talking on that bus, he had a really interesting conversation with him. And then when the event was over, we got together again. And I think I talked to Randy for a couple hours, at least two hours, at least one of the most interesting, intelligent, you could talk to Lanny about just about anything. You know, he's very well read, which made him interesting because we could talk about aircraft design <laughs> or or any obscure topic that may have interested me in a moment. And Lanny would have knowledge. He 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 was just a guy that could really have a great conversation about so many things. But the one thing I do want to say about Lanny is his love for and loyalty to not only Randy, but his mom and dad, I think really is what defined Lanny Poffo as a human being mm -hmm. and, and as a person in the wrestling business. He was such a loyal and loving guy. And I mean, the, the, just the loyalty and respect for his mother and father and, and obviously Randy uh, was very unique. And it, it really endeared me. To Lanny, he, he became someone that I wished I would have gotten to know much better, much earlier. Very sad to see him, to hear about him passing. I mean, it's, it's only 68 and he was a healthy guy. I mean, he wasn't, yes. he didn't, you know, he wasn't into the scene, right? He didn't do drugs. He didn't, he wasn't a drinker, at least not what I saw. Haven't heard any stories of it. And I don't listen to rumors and stories anyway, too much, but he, he just, he was a healthy guy. He was full of life. And I think he just recently moved down to South America or Ecuador. I believe. Where was it? Ecuador. I believe Ecuador. Yeah. Ecuador had a, had a, a, a beautiful uh, woman in his life. And he just seemed so happy that it shocked me. And I talked to a couple of people that said that they were communicating with Lanny uh, up until the night before he passed. Wow. no, you know, no indication that there was anything wrong or he wasn't feeling well. In fact, he was planning on coming up. Uh, Elliot Greenberg, I think, posted uh, that he was coming up to New York and wanted to get together for dinner. And so I don't know, man, I don't know what happened, but it doesn't matter at this point. You know, rest in peace, Lanny. You're a good human being. You, you, were, you were a great example of, of what family should be and can be, and we're going to miss you. Well said what family could be and should be. I think, uh, if Mr. Poffo was here, he would be proud to hear that that was the way he's remembered today. I, um, I always got a kick out of his interviews. He did uh, a couple of interviews with our friend, Sean Oliver with kayfabe commentaries. And he talked about how he doesn't use toilet paper. And of course, Sean Oliver did a double take. And of course we, you and I know where he's going. He uses washlets like you and I do. And he talked about how that saved him money. And I just thought that was funny. And I think in recent years, he's done interviews where he talked about being on a fruits and nuts diet and he wanted to live forever. And unfortunately he didn't make it, but man, what a uh, legacy he leaves behind as a family man 
I think those are some pretty legendary stories about Randy Savage going into the hall of fame and, you know, Savage really wanting the whole family to go in, but Lanny saying, nah, Randy's, Randy's good to go in by himself. And even, you know, as the story goes, when, uh, when Hogan and Savage had a falling out and, and, and Savage was, was cutting those, uh, those promos and songs about be a man Hulk and all that. Allegedly, according to what, what we hear, Poffo said, or Lanny said, uh, I'm not doing that. He put me in some main event spots. I wouldn't have been in. I'm not going to disparage Hulk Hogan for that. And just a class guy, man, and, uh, gone way, way too soon. So thoughts and prayers seems like a cliche thing to say, but I don't know what else to say. Uh, 68 is just way too young, especially for a guy who was in what looked like by all means, a, a, a great example of, of, of how to live your life later in life. And, um, I hope we all take a moment to spend a little more time with our family and be a little sweeter and a little nicer and a little more thoughtful with our family. That's probably the best way to honor Lanny's memory this weekend. Hey, I want to do a, a shout out to Lindsay. Who's with us. Uh, a lot of fans with us, a lot of listeners with us from ad free shows and they're on the show live. So lo- love to see Lindsay uh, joining us. She's had some challenges and, and I'm, I'm glad to see she's here because that indicates that she's, starting to get her feet back under and uh, glad to see that we, uh, we often say here on the program that uh, when you sign up for adfreeshows.com, you get the shows early and ad free. Well, it doesn't get any earlier than a live watch along. So we've got a live studio audience. We greatly appreciate everybody turning out. And, uh, speaking of turning out, it feels like people have turned out in droves. Uh, we recorded last weekend. And of course that was a uh, rumble weekend. It looks like they set all kinds of records for that. Eric. Uh, a record number of people watched and attended and an all-time record gross. And they broke merch records. I, I was hearing they were selling out of Cody merch every single day. They had to keep restocking their superstore. It feels like the WWE has a ton of momentum. Uh, and then we saw their earnings call and buddy, it's just cash hand over fist. I know you guys have been breaking that down over on strictly business. Uh, what's your take on the momentum WWE has? And uh, tell us a little bit about Strictly Business. Let's do a cheap plug is there as well. Yeah, it's a worthwhile plug because if anybody that's listening to this show hasn't checked out Strictly Business, I highly encourage you to do it. <clears throat> Tom DeShane, um, who a lot of people have seen on ad-free shows, he's got a monthly show uh, here on ad-free. But Tom is, for those of you who may not have heard me talk about Tom, Tom DeShane is somebody that I met really through ad free shows in the podcast several years ago, Tom lives on the East coast. He's Harvard graduate, um, studied Shakespeare and, and I think he majored in English, but he was mostly interested in literature. He actually wrote a book, um, about Shakespeare that has won awards and Shakespeare's plays and the characters that are in his plays, a really fascinating book. Tom loves story. In fact, when I first talked to Tom and got to know him, and, you know, obviously he's a very accomplished guy, not only a Harvard graduate, studied literature, wrote a book about Shakespeare. He's a television producer. He's a documentary producer. He's also a game designer. Tom created a game called uh, Quest for the Anecdote, which is one of the only games ever designed and created outside of a company called Upper Deck. Um, and 
Tom, you know, created that game. He's now working on another one and a couple other big projects. He's got a project that he's a television show that he's working on based on board game competition. He's a really fascinating cat. But the reason that he went to Harvard, the reason that Tom was inspired to study literature, you know, storytelling is because Tom grew up as a wrestling fan. Mm. And the, the stories in wrestling is what it was the catalyst for Tom's interest in literature. And we sat down and broke down on Strictly Business. If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to do it. Um, but we sat down on Strictly Business and really broke down the elements of what has made this, what we'll call the bloodline storyline, which really started, you know, two and a half, almost three years ago, but really broke it down and talked about why it's caught fire and why it's one of the things that has really, I think, turned around the momentum in WWE. There's certainly other things, right. but right now I can't think of a story in the last 10 years that has captured the audience's attention and has become as compelling as it has. I just can't think of one. And we talk about the fact that, you know, about once every six, eight, 10 years, there comes a story that people will talk about forever. And this is one of them. And I don't think there's been another story that can come close to this in terms of its logical progression. You know, it keeps building and building and building compelling characters, um, the, the right amount of, as Tom would describe it, peripatia, peripatia. We need a shirt, Kaufman. Para, got, like the old got milk shirts. We need one that says got peripatia, question mark. And peripatia is Aristotle's version of a swerve. <laughs> But, and we talk about how swerves work and, and sometimes why they don't work and how the right amount or, 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 the, or, or the, the, the element of peripatia um, works so well as long as the other ingredients to a good story are there to support it. Fascinating. If you love the Bloodline storyline, I please encourage, I, I encourage you to please go check out Strictly Business because you'll understand better why you love that story. And I think it will help you as a fan watch other stories and begin to begin to understand why they're working and most importantly, sometimes why they're not because they don't have those elements of, of, of story that make it work and, and structure and discipline because that's what it comes down to. You can't write, you can't craft a good story without the elements that make a story a good story. And again, I'll, I'll talk about that all day long because it's just, it's a passion for me and it's a learning experience. I learn every day. I read, I, I talk to people like Tom as much as I can. And I think back to the things that I've done, some that were successful, some that sucked. And I kind of lay that over when I'm learning from Tom and learning from some of the books I'm reading about storytelling and things like that. So check it out. You'll, you'll walk away knowing you know way more about professional wrestling and story and why things work than you ever thought you could. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget 
and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Eric, I wanted to bring this up today because uh, you and I have had a lot of great conversation over the years on this podcast about, you know, um, what if, and all this, all the great success that you had with the NWO storyline. And I think most everybody listening to this would agree. That's probably the number one storyline as far as importance in wrestling history. And we often talk about how it's kind of bittersweet to look back and realize we never got a proper end to that story, right? There should have been this great, big, grandiose blow off. And that was the end. And instead it just sort of fizzled knowing what, you know, now looking back with the benefit of hindsight, as you take a look at this bloodline angle, do you have any advice to those in the powers that be about something you wish you could have done over again or done differently with the NWO as they're going to try to figure out what the future of this bloodline thing looks like. But at some point they're going to have to wind it down. The guy who, uh, I want to ask the most about how do you put a button on this thing is you. Yeah. I mean, wow. That, that's, I mean, we could spend hours talking about that, but I think to, and not to be redundant, but I wished I had the knowledge Mm-hmm. And the perspective of what it takes to make a great story then, as I do now, because admittedly, you know, I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted the NWO storyline to be when Scott Hall came in and when Kevin, especially by the time Kevin Nash got in, the original NWO story had formed pretty clearly in my head, but, and I didn't think it was going to be as successful as it was. Nobody did. Anybody that says they did is lying to themselves. Um, I thought it was going to be pretty good. I thought we'd get a good three month, you know, run out of it. Even when it started, but I had no idea how big it was going to become. And what started out as a pretty well-conceived plan initially with the NWO. And I think it was executed extremely well, but some of that was just instinct and luck as opposed to knowledge and experience. But if I would have had the same perspective and knowledge and experience then as I do now, that would have been a much better story. And, and the truth is, you know, we talked about the NW, Tom and I talked about the NWL story and how it was structured and compared it to the bloodline storyline now and how it is structured and, and executed. And the truth is the bloodline story in terms of a storyline and the ingredients and the elements and the discipline and the structure and the nature of it is a far better story than the NWL far better as a story. Now, will it have the same impact on the industry as the NWO NWO did? Probably not, but 
that has a lot to do with timing. That, that there's so many things that made the NWO work, including Hulk Hogan turning heel, by the way. Right. There's so many things that were just a moment in time that helped propel that storyline at that, that time that you, you can't replicate that today. You know, so I had the advantage of timing and, and, and the desire of the audience to see something different. So I capitalized on that, but that, that was as much good fortune as it was planning. But man, I, I, I dig the bloodline story. I lo- look what, I mean, just before the show, right. I'm sitting out on the porch with my dog and I'm going scrolling through my social media. I posted a picture of way Jay wearing a cowboy hat, you know, and I'm looking in on there and I'm looking at a lot of comments about Sammy Zayn. I think Sammy Zayn has emerged. He's the, he's the secret star in all of this. No doubt. He added such a phenomenal element of intrigue and anticipation. My favorite thing, anticipation. Um, he added such an element to that story that really elevated the story. And that's an example of what Tom and I were talking about in Strictly Business, where not only does the storyline evolve and progress, but the characters within the story are also evolving and progressing in an equally logical, progressive way that continues to create more and more interest. Um, I think that's one of the things. Look at the Usos. And they've been bouncing around and pretty high profile for a long time. And everybody knew who they were. But, man, you started to see, you know, Jay Uso is now, he's been so elevated by this story. Sami Zayn is, I think, one of the bigger stars to be elevated in a story in as long as I can remember. And what's so cool about it is Sami's a little bit of a handful. When I first got to w, or WWE in 2019 and we were splitting the roster and Paul was trying to decide who he wanted and I was deciding who I wanted. And of course, Vince was in the middle kind of, you know, he had his hand in that as well because it was a raw SmackDown kind of issue. And SmackDown was about to debut on Fox Network, which was a very big, big deal at the time. So there was a lot of thought that went into how do we split this roster because the nature of that deal with Fox meant that there was going to be no more crossover, right? So we had to literally split the roster knowing that, you know, we weren't going to be able to bounce back and forth and do some of the other things that had been done interbrand wise previously. And Sammy was one of those guys that I didn't know Sammy. So as we'd sit down and we're shuffling the deck and looking at the names on the roster and all that, and I probably shouldn't say this. Say it. Let me let me just say that Sammy on those list of names, Sammy was in the category where Paul would say, "No, you you take him." You know, he yeah, no, he should yeah, you you take him. <laughs> I didn't know, you know, I this is a name on a piece of paper when I first got there. I didn't know him. And then as I got to Work with you know, I worked with him very little. I think I directed a couple of backstage scenes with him and things like that. And I got to know him as a performer and how he thought as a performer, which impressed me, by the way, a lot. But he was also one of those guys. How do I say this? You've heard me say this before, and I guess in a, it's an analogy or a metaphor. You know, you can slow a fast racehorse down, yes, but you can't speed a slow horse up. Right. Right. 
So I always love fast horses in real life as in with people that I work with. I love people who are really smart, who are really passionate and think at a much different level than the average person creatively. And Sammy was that guy. So he was like, when you have a fast horse, a spirited horse that just wants to run, you know, and is not happy unless it's just blowing the doors off, you know, running, they can be a handful to manage. They're not going to follow you around the corral and nudge you and, you know, beg for an apple and rub their face on you. No, they just want to freaking run and they're hard to manage. And Sammy was like that to, to some people, not to me, I dug it, but, so, but some people are a little put off by that. Sammy was one of those guys, man, you'd have to sit down and listen to him. And the best part of listening to a cat like Sammy is the nuggets of gold that you find when you read a little bit between the lines and try to get a little bit inside his head. Fascinating cat. And I love the fact that Sammy was one of those, I'm going to call him a utility player on the roster. He'd go up and down. He's always there. He's a great performer. Everybody knew he could cut a great promo, which is probably why he was able to succeed as long as he did as a utility player. By the way, there's nothing wrong with being a utility player with 10 or 15 years of, you know, incredible income as a result. Yeah, But Sammy was one of those guys that was, you know, nobody ever imagined was going to break out of that utility category until the storyline came along. And I think Sammy's one of the reasons that the storyline has been as intriguing as it has, especially over the last month or two. So I'm, I'm so, I can't say I'm proud of him because I have nothing to do with it, but I'm very proud for him. And I think he's a great example for young talent who isn't necessarily getting a lot of attention on the roster. Nobody's writing anything special for them. They may get a match here. They may get a match there. In some cases, some of them may feel like <clears throat> they're in the witness protection program <laughs> because you just don't ever hear their names anymore. But Sammy's also one of those guys who probably felt that way as a utility player on the roster. He'd been in WWE for a long time, but he kept at it. He kept getting better. He kept himself ready in shape. I mean, as a character, not physically, but I mean, he kept himself ready to go at the drop of a hat and boom, the door opens up. He crashes through it. And I think he's, I don't know how they're going to use him going forward. I don't know what he's going to be involved with, but man, there's a lot of steam behind him right now amongst the fans. And I'm just so happy for him. So listen, uh, I just want to circle back to something you said, because if I don't, I'll get, uh, I'll get roasted online. Were you sort of insinuating there that when, when Paul was running raw and you were running SmackDown, Paul was trying to push him on your side. I don't want to, cause that's why I was, I wanted to be careful how I said it. It wasn't like Paul absolutely didn't want to work with them. It's just, Paul had certain people that he felt really strongly about. And I think Sammy, because he's Sammy's one of those guys, man, he's, he's going to follow you around and keep talking to you until you sit down and listen to him. Right. <laughs> you know, right. he's relentless that way, which again, he's the fast horse. That's what fast horses do in the wrestling business. They don't, you know, go sit in a corner and wait for somebody to call on him. You know, Sammy's one of those guys, man. He's, if you're there and he's got something to talk to you about, you're going to listen whether you want to or not. And I think that's probably one of the things that Paul went, eh, you take him. <laughs> You'll like him, Eric. By the way, I, I don't think 
Hey guys, Tony Schiavone. Need to call a timeout real quick. Wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling what happened when listeners for a while now about all the cool things happening over on adfreeshows.com. The road to WrestleMania has begun. And in this ad-free show's exclusive, Tony and JR sit down to call the action from some of WrestleMania's biggest matches, including the end of The Undertaker's streak. Hard ending war. I thought that that Taker kicked out. I was wrong. And maybe that's because of my prejudice that I wanted to see Taker win. That I, well, I would have liked to see 22 and 0 as well. But this is a historic moment. It really is in not only in WrestleMania history, but in all of pro wrestling, if you think about it. What does everybody want? How about a sit-down exclusive with Al Snow, who discusses a wide range of topics, including his dear friend, Jim Cornette. Jimmy knows and understands his gimmick. Uh, and he knows and understands what draws for him. And like any good worker, uh, Jimmy's going to capitalize on it. You know, and, and a lot of what you see is not... Jim Cornette. It's it's an aspect of Jim Cornette, and it's just an aspect that Jimmy's turned the volume up on. Apparently, as the years went on, a lot. You know? <laughs> Ad-free show members recently sat shotgun alongside Kevin Nash for a live watch along of his WWE Championship match against Shawn Michaels at In Your House Seven. Catch the event now on demand. Oh, <laughs> bullet. A year of a year of brutal matches was too much for the big man. For, too much for the big man's shoulders as he reached in. He reached those continually reached those shoulders into his pockets and came out empty from the amount of money that was paid him. That's just a small taste of what we got waiting for you. With four levels to choose from, see for yourself. My ad-free shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adfreeshows.com. I want to, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth and I don't want to betray any confidences, but sometimes offline, you and I in real life, by the way, think a lot of diamond Dallas page, True. but we've also been honest about saying at times Dallas can be a lot. And that's the right way to describe him because it comes from a place of passion. He's very passionate. He really cares. And I, I think that's kind of the rap on Sammy is that Sammy really cares. And boy, the proof is in the pudding because that has paid in spades. Uh, and a really smart person, and I probably shouldn't say their name, but a really smart person who I befriended in wrestling, who's in the WWE system years ago. I'll never forget. I was at a, uh, I was at a show in Birmingham. And I asked, Hey man, what are you doing on the show tonight? And he goes, I'm, I, I'm here. I'm in a good mood. I'm in shape and I'm ready. And that's what this job requires because it's not up to the talent. What's going to happen and not happen. Like they're going to be handed a sheet of paper and say, all right, here's what you're doing. And it's up to you to be in the right mood mentally to receive that and be in the best shape physically to perform that. And it feels like when, when finally Sammy's number was called, boy, he delivered in spades. Did he not? He did. He did. And I, and again, this. I'm excited for Sam. Again, we're not close friends. We I haven't spoken to him since I left, you know, in right. 2019. So I'm not here, you know, patting a friend on the back. That's not the case at all. But I think he should be, this is going to sound crazy in a way, like I'm going over the top. But Sammy, I think, should be a lesson for a lot of frustrated people. Yes. Frustrated talent that allow themselves to, you know, 
reading the internet, listening to the dirt sheet universe and whatever, they allow themselves to get frustrated because their time isn't quite yet for whatever reason, maybe not because they don't have the talent, but you're surrounded by a lot of talented people, whether you're an AEW or WWE, there's a lot of depth on those rosters of, of really, really talented people. And not everybody's going to get their shot when they want it. That's right. And the reason I'm so proud for Sammy is because I think he's the perfect example for people that are in that utility category to look at and go, that's how he did it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep myself in shape. I'm going to keep thinking. I'm going to keep talking to people, even if they don't want to talk to me. You have to be polite about it. You can't be a complete jackass. But just like Diamond Dallas Page, for God's sake. You know, one of the reasons, and I love Diamond Dallas Page, he is salt of the earth, in my opinion. Yes. Um, but, man, when he lived down the street from me, <laughs> it's like i'm putting in 60 hour days and on the weekend when i finally you know on a saturday late saturday afternoon when i can finally hang up the phone hey eric hey eric hey eric, hey, eric. oh bro bro let's go for a ride let's go for a ride you know, we jump in his car he had a mercedes convertible at the time an older one but it was cool 450 and we're driving around and you know on a nice day in atlanta it's just like <laughs> And for that reason, one of the reasons I've never done DDT, DDP yoga is because the thought of listening to him in my ear, I can't do it. I have right. a little bit of PTS Diamond Dallas Page oh, okay. <laughs> in a loving way. But I think, Conrad, that is a perfect example. Page was obnoxious to a lot of people. He was yeah. relentless. He didn't care if you weren't in the mood to hear his idea. He's going to give it to you. Yeah. And over time, I learned to really respect it and, 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 and appreciate it. Yes. But he's a perfect example. And, you, you know, there's a lot of guys that were like, oh, my God, you mean I'm gonna, I got to work a program with TDP? Because when, when TDP's in a program with you, brother, you might as well move into his house or he's going to move into yours. Right. Because he's going to work on that story and work on those matches and work on the promos and in detail, like he's, he's the opposite of me. You know, I tend to like to improv. I rely on my instincts a little bit and DDP was a planner. That's why he and Randy Savage worked so well together. Cause yeah. Randy was like that. Randy was a little bit um, unique in terms of an older school guy. Randy could go in and call a match on the fly. He could do that. He was great at that. But Randy preferred, because of the way his mind worked creatively, he wanted to break down every moment in that match. So when we paired up DDP and Randy Savage, those two were like, man, they were like separated at birth. They just spent weeks laying out their stuff. And it showed. Now, you put DDP in there with somebody who didn't like to work. Can you imagine DDP and Ric Flair working a program? No. No. DDP and Hulk Hogan working a program? Probably not. DDP, Hulk loved DDP and respected yes. the hell out of him. But Hulk wasn't the kind of guy that's going to sit down and spend three hours laying out a 15-minute match. Right. Ain't doing it. And certainly not going to write it down for you. But Randy was that guy, and they worked so well together. It was magic because of it. 
Yeah. So listen, I just, I know sometimes uh, there becomes a narrative on a lot of these podcasts where, where people who were big stars of yesteryear come on and, and, and criticize the attention to detail and planning everything out and spending all of this time and blah, blah, blah. And I, I understand. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. But I also know that that passion for putting all that extra time and all that extra preparation into it comes from not wanting to have a good match, not even wanting to have a great match, but wanting to have the best match. And that pursuit of perfection, I think is what has made. And I mean, I was asked recently who my wrestler of the year was last year. And I picked Sami Zayn. I mean, Sami Zayn's attention to detail made that WrestleMania match and that assignment, a lot of guys probably would have been less than thrilled to have, wait, I'm getting my big WrestleMania moment in a jackass match. And that match was fun. And then this bloodline thing, man, even Ric Flair on his podcast said, I hated it. He didn't belong. It was stupid. I wanted him off my TV. And a month later I realized I was wrong. It was the best thing going. Uh, he has, he has won over a lot of folks and a lot of folks were really pulling for him to win the rumble that he wasn't even in. Of course, we know Cody Rhodes won and punched his ticket. He's going to be squaring off with Roman. It looks as if we're going to get Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns in the main event of uh, the Montreal pay-per-view. Sami's hometown. You want to talk about some great booking. What an ovation he's going to get there. But it was in the Observer, and don't get on a diatribe about that just yet. I want to ask your opinion. Dave wrote in plain English. Neither Vince nor Hunter saw Sammy as a main event WrestleMania guy. And I think maybe the fans disagree. And this feels a lot like Daniel Bryan nine years ago, as we marched towards WrestleMania 30 in new Orleans, the, the company wanted Batista, the fans wanted the yes movement. It feels like the fans wanted Sammy here at WrestleMania. They're going to get him at elimination chamber. And let's remind everybody, <laughs> we started this program saying, they sold out of Cody merch every day. What a great spot to be in where you have so much intrigue and interest in your main event. But do you see Sami Zayn now with the benefit of hindsight and everything that's happened as a WrestleMania main event and as a viable WWE world champion? Viable WWE world champion. Yes. At some point. Um, not now. Okay. And I say that because. If Sammy continues to get the opportunities that he's received over the last three or four months, whatever it's been, leading up to what happened at Rumble, 
if he's featured, if he's protected to a degree, and by protected, I mean just not use this cannon fodder to get to something else with someone else. But if Sammy is offered the opportunity to continue to build a look, sympathetic babyface as a resort, he's a babyface coming out of Rumble, right? It has to be. Um, depending on what happens in Elimination Chamber, that crowd, that crowd of my, I, I got to work with Steve Austin in a match at No Way Out, I think it was, with Steve Austin. One of the most amazing experiences in my career as a performer. And I didn't do it. All I got was I got my ass kicked for however long that thing took, maybe seven minutes, eight minutes. There was no story in that match. There was no way, you know, first of all, I, I'm me and he's Steve Austin. So you can pretty much expect what's going to happen just as a, you know, entering action, right? But Steve was so um, limited at that time because of the nerve damage in his neck. And, you know, I remember being backstage with Steve, and I hope he's not offended or, or, or angry when I talk about this, but because I mean it with nothing but respect. But I was standing, you know, maybe, I don't know, an hour before the match or something. We're starting to get ready, and I'm looking at Steve. He was talking to somebody, and his, one of his legs was just, you could tell he could barely put a lot of weight on it. So he, I, he was in kind of a no touch, no bump. He was in a no bump zone because of those injuries. So all I had to do was go out there and let him be Steve and stomp a mud hole in me, which he did. But the crowd in Montreal, in my experience, limited as it may be as a performer in the ring, but even seeing, even watching, even producing in, in many markets around the world, for that matter, I've never, ever experienced the kind of energy that I did in that match with Steve Austin, particularly in Montreal. And I think Sammy has that same opportunity here, depending on how that match ends and what they do with Sammy. doesn't mean he has to win, obviously, but depending on how that match is laid out and how they treat Sammy, I think he can come out of, out of the elimination chamber with Roman and continue his ascent to that WWE champion status. I think if you did it now, as strong as Sammy is and as much um, as the crowd is behind him now, I think it would be a little premature. I think, especially in WWE, you know, you they, they like to build slowly. I think within the next six months, Sammy's going to be right there. I could see Sammy and Cody somewhere down the road, if indeed Cody comes out of it, you know, as WWE champion. But not yet, but very soon. Because he does he have the talent? <laughs> he has enough talent to share. He could siphon off half of his talent and give it to somebody else and still be there as a performer. But I think the crowd needs to view Sammy in that role for just a little bit longer in that upper third, upper 20% of the roster. And if they do it, I think over the next six months, absolutely yes. I think if they did it right now, it'd be just a bit too soon. I'm curious. can't believe this is real, but Woo Wings, your very own virtual restaurant concept is now open and fans can enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with their Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, 
Jacksonville as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa right here in Alabama. Many more locations coming soon. As a virtual restaurant, Woo Wings is looking to partner with existing restaurants in major metro areas. Tell your favorite sports bar or local restaurant you want Woo Wings in your town. And to visit rickflairwings.com for more information on how to become a partner. But if you're in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Huntsville, or Tuscaloosa, hop on your Uber Eats or Postmates app and look for Woo Wings and try the only chicken wings worthy carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion, Woo Wings. Be sure to check out rickflairwings.com to become a partner. Curious from your standpoint, and we are going to talk about the Wolfpack. I know we've gone a long time here talking about current WWE stuff, but uh, I'm just fascinated by it. And hey, man, this is the season, right? What do you think they're going to do with Roman Reigns? In my opinion, uh, I don't know. I mean, it feels like you got to go away for a bit. Maybe it's time to take some time off. Like coming off of this bloodline storyline, if it does have some sort of do you think it concludes at WrestleMania or does he hang through SummerSlam? I mean, it feels oh, as I, if when the bloodline winds down, does he need to go away for a bit? I'm asking as the guy who created the NWO with the benefit of hindsight, like, would you have had the, the NWO fall Hogan goes away for a bit and then he comes back in the red and yellow because when Hogan, when, when Roman comes back, if he does go away for a bit, he's going to be a huge freaking baby face. Is he not? I agree. I, I agree. And I, I think to answer your first, the first part of your question, yeah, I, I see Roman and he's been at the, he's been the guy carrying the load. Not that everybody else isn't, isn't as important, but Roman has been in that top spot, getting the majority of the attention creatively for so long that I think it'll be t- number one. I think it's time because absence always makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. How can how can Roman get any hotter than he is right now after years of being positioned to where he is right now? I don't think he can get any hotter unless you tag in the absence makes a heart grow fonder factor. Right. Reemerges with a refreshed character, not a different character, but a refreshed character and perspective. I think that's how Roman gets hotter and becomes more valuable. Now that's that's a creative perspective. I think on the, and I don't know Roman Reigns. We probably have shared less than two dozen words, just you know, not for any reason other than I just never worked with him. You know, when right. I was in WWE in 2019, that was you know that was Vince's baby, right? Um, I didn't I didn't deal with him, but my impression based on things that I've heard, read, interviews that I've heard from him. Uh, he's very much of a family man. I think that this schedule, and even though it's been winding down a little bit for him and, you know, he's not been used as much, you know, live events and things like that. I think it's time for Roman to, you know, recharge the batteries a little bit. I also think Roman is interested in possibly yeah, moving over into the film business, feature film industry. And this is a good time for him. I think he's got one or two contacts, a couple people that he knows in Hollywood. He knows, he knows some folks. Yeah. So I, I see he, I see Roman transitioning into the next phase of his career where wrestling will still be very important to him, much like it was the rock in the beginning of rocks transition, much like it was with John Cena during John Cena's transition out of that top spot that he had been in for so long. 
Um, I see this as kind of that transition point for Roman. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I can't wait for Elimination Chamber. I can't wait for WrestleMania. I am uh, a bigger WWE fan than I have been in a lot of years. I think they're clicking on all cylinders right now. And you want to talk about clicking on all cylinders. You guys certainly were 25 years ago in WCW. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. The formation of the Wolfpack. Uh, when you think back, Eric, when did you start to think that a split of the NWO could be viable. Was it because you had maybe behind the scenes, some political wrangling and maneuvering between Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan. And you thought, well, if they're kind of jockeying for the same spot here, maybe we could let that play out on camera or is there something else that gets you to there? Yeah. Let's, let's contextualize that a little bit because when we, when we talk about, you know, political maneuverings that, you know, Fans especially immediately jump to heat, right? Oh, you know, we're getting along. Got to split them up because they didn't like each other. Arguing, that wasn't the case. I think the, I guess, frustration that did exist at that time, and especially from Kevin, was that there was no progression. It wasn't going anywhere. Now, Kevin didn't articulate it that way, but that's what was happening. It's like, oh, we got this NWO. We got you know, all these people at NWO, but there's nothing happening with the NWO that feels any different than what we had been doing for quite a while at that point. And I think Kevin was smart enough and had the instinct enough to start recognizing it and you know, I know Kevin pretty well, and I and I knew him pretty well back then. Kevin's not going to quietly just do what he's been told to do or asked to do. Kevin's going to speak up. And, you know, Kevin's presentation, you know, when Kevin's starting to get frustrated, he doesn't say, hey, Eric, let's go out and have a nice dinner. I got a couple ideas I want to share with you, and let's just riff a little bit. And that's not Kevin. Kevin comes at it a little differently, a little more aggressively. And by aggressive, I mean blunt, you know, not angry, but just blunt. And that bluntness and, and that was a result of the frustration of, again, I'm going to go back to Tom DeShane. There's no logical progression of the story. It was in a, it was in a stalemate creatively. That's what created the frustration and, and some of the vocal things that, that Kevin said you know, got out or that people were reacting to, but it, there was still a ton of respect between Kevin and Hulk. It wasn't a personal thing. It was a frustration. And Hey, we got this fast horse and you got it tied to a tree. Let's untie this horse. We got to figure out a way to get the horse running again. And it was really Kevin. I think it was Nash's idea to split it up now and, and have the red and white not for political reasons, but to progress the story. And if you think about it, and I didn't think about it then because I didn't have the same experience or knowledge or interest really in detailed storytelling. Um, but what Kevin was sensing is the same thing. I think that we sense as viewers, when we watch any form of, you know, I'm into, you know, I like to watch a lot of great stuff on, you know, on, on the streaming platforms, but those stories constantly advance 
And I'm going to go back to Sons of Anarchy because it's such a simple, basic kind of example that I think most people that remember that show can can remember. In the you know in the first couple seasons of that show, you know that that outlaw biker club that was at the I can't even remember the name of it anymore, but that that club with Jax, the, the leader, you know everything was tight. You know that club was you know they were brothers, they were family. But after a couple seasons in order to keep that story going and keep it interesting and keep it progressing in a logical manner, you have to create some dissension within the ranks. And that's a storytelling device that you can probably find in a lot of stories that feature an ensemble cast. And that that's what Kevin was feeling. If we want to keep this thing progressing, we've got to split it up. We've got to create some dissension in what was up until that point, a very, I mean, it was one for all, all for one, right? NWO for life, brother. That was the, the the foundation upon which that story was built. You know, is that they were a tight knit group that a tight knit group that were that had a singular mission. They wanted to take down WCW and control it until such time as egos and pride and jealousy, all of those human instincts that are not good instincts started to kind of seep into the story, which caused that split. And Kevin was right. It wasn't executed as well as it could have been. Certainly if I was doing it today and, and Kevin too, you know, we were all smarter, you know, as a result of the experiences we've had, but I, I that, that story could have been done so much better. We just scratched the surface and really did it out of a reaction as opposed to a pre-planned action. The uh, the name of the gang and Sons of Anarchy was Sons of Anarchy. Uh, you may be remembering the acronym they used that sort of abbreviated that, Sam Crow. Uh, but still, they were the Sons of Anarchy. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the way the group was split. Before it was officially split, we would often see whenever Scott Hall would come out, and Kevin Nash would come out and Sean Waltman would come out. Boy, all those guys got crazy cheers. We all remember Scott Hall coming on and, and doing the whole survey says and all that jazz. And Hulk Hogan wasn't getting that response. You know, it, it, you were getting booze, you and Hulk Hogan, but Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, they're often getting cheers. So it does feel as if there's sort of a natural divide. And then I, I can't help but think to myself, self, as a businessman, the hottest selling wrestling t-shirt at the time by a country mile was the NWO shirt. But at this point, everybody already has it. And we've had yeah. different variations where hey, we'll put a six on the, uh, a, a cue ball or a six ball, a, a billiard ball on the back of, of his, and we'll try a few other shirts. Maybe we'll do a photo of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. None of them sell as well as just the plain and simple black and white NWO shirt. Well, how do we get them to buy more shirts? What if we do the same thing, but make it another color? Is that as simple as that? Yep. yep. <laughs> it really was. And, and, and that wasn't a driver. You know, it wasn't like, look, we got to sell more t-shirts. How do we do that? Let's split the NWO. One's red, one's white. It wasn't the driver, but it certainly became a conversation that was at the top of the list. Once we made that creative decision, it was like, Oh yeah. And guess what? Here's, here's, here's another reason why we think it's a good idea. Absolutely. 
Well, we know that, uh, it's going to happen. Uh, Randy Savage always seemed to be the one who was on the outs with the NWO during the early run of the NWO. Was it always designed that way? I mean, I know the whole Hogan Savage thing is as old as the day is long. As far as people know, these guys have an on again, off again, on screen. And if you were paying attention off screen relationship, was that ever a consideration, you know, making Randy Savage, maybe a leader of a rival NWO against Hulk Hogan's NWO, or was it more about youth versus older, maybe the new generation versus the golden era, or is it simply, Hey, uh, these guys are getting cheers and those guys are getting booze. It was, it was, it, no, it was a couple things. Number one, Scott and Kevin were viewed in many respects as the, they were the catalyst for the NWO. They started it before Hulk Hogan turned heel in July of 96. We had had May, June. We had eight weeks of programming where Scott and Kevin basically represented what the NWO was going to become. I think Kevin was looked at even more than Scott. Kevin was viewed as the leader of the NWO up until Hogan came, right? Which, by the way, sets up a perfect split somewhere down the road because the audience looked at Kevin and Scott, but more more Kevin, as the guy until Hulk Hogan came in. So now you got two powerful characters that the audience looked at as the really the leaders of the NWO Hogan much more so because he was always out in front. He had the promo. I came out with him. He got a lot more. He had voodoo child. You know, there was a lot of things that made Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan in the NWO aside from just the fact that he was Hulk Hogan and he turned heel, right? That was kind of a big deal, but there was a lot of support creatively underneath that to make it work beyond just a couple of weeks. But I think the audience still looked at Kevin, man. He was that guy. And look, Kevin's an aspirational character. Who doesn't want to be six foot seven, 275, 300 pounds jacked and, and, and able to stand up to any man in, the, in America? Yeah, everybody kind of wants to be that guy, <clears throat> subconsciously or consciously. It just made sense. And Randy, because Randy came into the NWO so much later than that initial launch of that brand that I don't think people would have looked at Randy quite the same way as they did Kevin or even a Scott. Let's um, let's just address the elephant in the room. Did the thunder speed this process up of two NWOs? I mean, we've talked about the challenges that thunder brought to you because Turner wants a second show, but they don't really want to pay for it. So it's up to you to figure out how to pay for it. And now you've got your contract scheduled a certain way for a certain number of dates, and you've got your budgets figured a certain way as far as production costs and trucks and, and, and lighting crew members and all this stuff that that entails. So you go out and you sign a whole bunch of new wrestlers. And that's where we would see guys like Chris Adams and Rick Martell and even some of the ECW guys like Mikey Whipwreck, they all had an opportunity. Bret Hart. The only reason Bret, Bret Hart came, or the only reason I brought Bret Hart in and paid him what I paid him was because we needed that fresh, identifiable, high equity character for W for Thunder, not not for Nitro. Did splitting the NWO 
even cross your mind with regard to thunder or is that a totally separate thing at least in no it's mind? totally separate it, it, it okay. was really total. it was really that the story had gotten flat <clears throat> and wasn't progressing and we needed to do something to keep it hot and splitting it and creating a rift between hogan and nash and the red and the white we felt was the best way to do it but it, it that one didn't have anything to do with thunder we uh we know the the real thing gets kicked off with the NWO in July of '96 when when Hogan turns and calls him the New World Organization brother. Uh, so by March of '98, we're almost at two years. What do you think is? Have you put any thought into? I, I realize that creative is subjective. Jeff Jarrett says that all the time on his podcast, My World, that drops on Tuesdays. He always says, "Connie, creative is subjective." But in your mind, is there a rule of thumb for how long a story should go? I mean, you often talk about a three-act structure and blah, blah, blah. But as far as just pages on a calendar, you know, we used to hear Vince McMahon or stories of Vince McMahon. He would sort of think about what next year's WrestleMania was going to be or what he envisioned for it and then work backwards. So he was trying to do it on a year-long basis. Now you're stretching this thing well beyond that. Is there, in your mind a rule of thumb for how long a good story should go in wrestling. No, because not every story. And I don't disagree with Jeff Jared on this. Everything is subjective. You know, I love asparagus. You may hate it, (laughs) whatever, you know, it has nothing to do with the asparagus. It's just your reaction to it and storylines and creative is much the same way. I don't like, there's a lot of, you know, great, technically great shows on, on, available in streaming, for example, that a lot of people love that I just, I can't spend five minutes watching. So I I think the better, the answer to your question is no, there's not a set period of time that I consider to be ideal. Now to add a little, a layer or two to that, I think, and again, this is based on what I know now from experience and, and, you know, from learning along the way, is if you've got an A story, and I'm going to cons- I'm going to talk about the bloodline again. That's your A story. That's the most important thing that's been happening in WWE programming um, for a long time. But there's B stories, there's C stories, there's D stories, or there should be at least. I think your A story, if you're going to build a story that's going to feature the highest power talents you have, that's going to get the majority of your TV time on a weekly basis and be featured in your paper on your pay-per-view schedule, I still call them pay-per-views because that's what they are to be, but whatever, that's going to be featured in your premium live events or whatever, um, that story has to build over an extended period of time. What's an extended period of time? Bloodline's now going on almost three years. Now, it didn't start out as the bloodline. They kind of crafted that story a little bit as they went. I think now there's probably a a more detailed, longer-term plan. But I think your A story, a good A story, should be at least three three to six months. As long as, and this is, you know, some of my complaints about wrestling in general, creatively at least, is that's not done anymore. Now, I can tell you from it's my experience, I don't care what Vince used to do. I used to hear that all the time when I was in WCW. Oh, Gene Oakland, man, he'd always, rah, rah, rah. Gene would hammer me all the time early on. 
I love about Vince McMahon, you know, he plans everything out a year in advance and works backwards from WrestleMania. And it gave me this impression that this guy had this great mathematical type formula, creative type formula that allowed him to hit the important beats of his story all along the way. And of course I didn't look at it at the time as beats along the way, but the impression I had is everything was well, well planned out. Whereas in WCW, we were lucky to be early on now talking about when I first took over storylines would maybe be planned out to last a month. And after that, it was like, ah, we'll figure it out when we get there. So I always wanted to do what I heard Vince McMahon doing. And I worked towards that. That's why you saw the Sting Hogan storylines, why the NWO storyline lasted as long as it did. I attempted to do it without really the knowledge of how to do it, but I attempted. Um, but when I was in WWE in 2019, you were lucky to have a plan that would last more than 48 hours. Forget about a year plan changed every single day. So the, the, the perception that Vince McMahon planned everything. Now, maybe he did, you know, because things changed right early on before Vince had two primetime shows to produce and the multitude, I don't even know how many pay-per-views or premium live events. And Oh, by the way, doing, you know, when, when the Saudi deal was put together from what I've heard, I wasn't there was that the Saudis expected a WrestleMania quality event. Well, that WrestleMania quality event had to be promoted on Raw and SmackDown in order for it to feel <clears throat> like a premium live event or a WrestleMania-esque live event. That's a lot of, that's a lot of stories and a lot of content all of a sudden, whereas back in 93, uh, 92, 93, 94, 95, up until Basically, I forced Vince McMahon and WWE to start producing more pay-per-views. Um, perhaps he did do it that way. Perhaps there was that long-term planning. And I'm sure Bruce Pritchard can probably speak to that really, really authoritatively. But when I got there in 2019, dude, the creative process was like, what are we going to throw up against the wall today? Right. What is Vince going to be in the mood for this morning? I know what he was in the mood for Friday when we left, but it's Monday morning. Now what's he want to do? Yeah. We've all heard the stories about tearing up scripts and starting from scratch two hours before TV starts to air. I can tell you that that happened. But I think now perhaps with Triple H, Paul Levesque kind of overseeing that creative process. Remember, Paul Levesque was on the, he was on the receiving end a lot of, that, of a lot of that, like a lot of us were at that time. And I think probably if one of there's one big benefit of having someone like Paul in charge of creative or Bruce Pritchard is, or anybody else that's been around for a long time that worked under Vince in that creative process is they've seen how difficult it is to keep a story progressing logically when mood swings dictated creative strategy. And that was the case with Vince. I think what we're seeing now is a more deliberate, disciplined keep using that word because it's so important when it comes to structuring a story, we're seeing a more disciplined approach, but that didn't exist when I was there in 2019 at all. In fact, it was the exact opposite. Eric, you talk a lot about the three act structure storytelling, uh, and how important it is to wrestling. What in your mind is, was the outline for the NWO's quote unquote, three acts. I think in the beginning it was pretty easy because I, again, in the very beginning, 
Scott calls and says, hey, any room? Sure, come on board. Ooh, maybe. Kevin Nash, a couple weeks later, a week later, hey, Eric, any chance I can come back? Ooh, now I've got my story. It's an invasion angle. Simple. And that part of it was very well structured. Scott, what did Scott do? He came down. You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Ooh, mystery. Check that box. Mm-hmm. Anticipation. Check that box. Um, story. I meant story. Check the box. Anticipation. Check the box. Reality. Check the box. And you and I will disagree with it, but I've heard Kevin do live promos talking about why him and Scott came in in the ring, and it was all because WCW didn't treat them the way they should have been treated paraphrasing it, but the promo exists, right? That was in the beginning of it. So I think the beginning of the O had a pretty well-defined 3X structure in the short term. First Scott story, creating anticipation. Who's my big big friend that's coming next week? Then it transitioned into the second act of who's the third man? And then the third act ended with Hulk Hogan turning heel. So it was a journey. It wasn't a wrestling angle. It wasn't like I'm out here doing an interview and Conrad's pissed off at me. So he comes out in the middle of my interview. He busts it, hits me with a chair. Boom, we've got a wrestling program. That's an angle. That's not a story. That's an angle. And then we have a series of matches and there's interference and there's disqualifications and blah, 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 blah. That's 95% of what we're seeing in a lot of wrestling that's in prime time today. I'm not going to bury anybody, okay? It's not my deal. I'm not going to swear on this show, and I'm going to try not to bury anybody. Those are my two goals today. Well, that's no fun. No. Well, it is. But if we can break down and talk about this stuff in a more constructive manner, maybe that's fun. We'll just give it a try. You know what? If if it sucks, I'll just go back to, like, swearing like a drunken sailor and burying everybody in sight. That's what it takes to entertain the audience. You know me. I'm a whore. I'll do it. You know, but, you know what? I know why you're doing this. I know why you feel that way today because you woke up and you took your athletic greens. You I had did. one scoop and a cup of water and that's all it took for you to start your day. Right. We and you, you and I both know you got 75 high quality vitamins running through you. You got the minerals pulsing through your veins. You got all the whole food source, superfoods, brother that you need to hang and bang out on Venice beach, California. You've been just aching to show everybody your probiotics and your 24 inch adaptogens, everything you need <laughs> to start your day, right? This special blend of ingredients oh. is going to better support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, your aging, all the things. So what you going to do, brother, you're going to get some AG one. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you're eating keto or paleo or vegan or dairy free or gluten free. I'll tell you what, this ain't taste free. It still tastes great. And they managed to do that with less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial, anything. It also helps with your sleep recovery and your sleep quality, your mental clarity, your alertness. It's less than three bucks a day. And we think of it as like our all in one nutritional insurance. They've got over 7,000 five-star reviews. And right now, Eric and I believe it's time you reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It really is just one scoop in a cup of water, y'all. That's it. Uh, no need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health and to make it easy. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks. 
Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Uh, Eric, AG1, a regular part of your routine, then now forever, right? Seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. I will not start a day without AG1. I believe in that product wholeheartedly. I've learned more and more and more about how important gut health is in order to keep healthy. And I refuse to start a day without it. So listen, Eric, let's talk about sort of the, the evolution of the NWO. We start to see some tensions after the great American bash in 97, Randy Savage is being at your throat after his loss to DDP. You're going to go through various people like the giant Ted DiBiase. You expand with the likes of big Bubba Rogers and buff Bagwell and all those folks. But I think maybe the first, uh, hint that this could change is a character like Conan. When he joins in July of 1997, it feels as if the NWO has the potential to become something else because Conan, as we've said on the program here for a long time was cool. And when I think about the split of the NWO, I think everyone agrees that, well, the red and black and the wolf pack, they were positioned to be cool. Conan was the embodiment of cool. Was he not? Still is. Yeah, man. I love it. I, I, I love listening to uh, keeping it real or keeping it a hundred, whatever the name of his show is. Yeah. Keeping it 100. Keeping 100. It, Conan is yes. Yes. He Conan dripped cool. Yeah. Conan, when he, you, you could not even know that you, you may not have ever watched nitro or you may have never watched professional wrestling. But when Conan would walk into a room, into a restaurant, wherever, you just knew the cat was real and he was cool. Absolutely. And, and so was Kevin and so was Scott. Scott Hall. Yes. So the, the, the cool side of the wolf pack, we kind of have figured out now the other side, well, Brian Adams joins in February of 98 Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake joins as the disciple. Uh, we even have a racing team where Kyle Petty is going to be driving for the NWO. And some of this stuff feels maybe not as cool. We're going to be covering super brawl here in the next few weeks. And we'll see one of the biggest ends of one of the biggest tag teams in history, the Steiner brothers. But did you think that we needed a few more folks involved here in order to, to pull this split off and Scott Steiner sort of check the box for the wolf pack or the black and white, or was the Steiner split even in consideration with this NWO split? I, no, it wasn't in advance, but I think it became an obvious opportunity once we started splitting it up. And to your point about how the, the, the wolf pack had that cool factor where black and white didn't. And I think one of the mistakes I made, obviously, you know, it wasn't intentional, but it's like, wow, we've got this machine that's printing money. Let's take advantage of it because at the end of the day, it's all about making money. Right. And I put making money with it above keeping the story and the characters evolving and progressing, which is why you know, bring in Kyle Petty, you know, we started commercializing 
black and white and commercializing the NWO to take advantage from a business perspective, to take advantage of this hot property and this brand within a brand that became kind of a bigger in many respects than the WCW brand hmm. by far. Now, how do we make money off of it in a larger scale? And that took, in addition to not having the Conan and the Scott Hall, Conan and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and the cool factor that they brought to the table, which is one of the other reasons that NWO black and white in its initial introduction got over because it was cool. They got cheers. You know, it was a little, it was a little sketchy in the beginning. Nobody knew how to react to it, but what we, when we split it, not only did we not have the cool factor now layer on top of that, that I'm trying to exploit it with Kyle Petty and all the different things that we did that con subconsciously, I think, and consciously in the minds of some just kind of took the edge off of it. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, after Hogan loses the title, Savage is going to cut promos that basically says I no longer need the NWO. Hogan failed as a leader and he's going to get the title back from sting. I mean, I think you could argue that Savage could have been the leader of a split NWO, but was he just in your opinion, not cool enough to do that? I mean, did he not fit the, the Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Conan, Bob? Not in the same way. Yeah. And I, and I don't know why I can't put my finger on why, and, and maybe it's because <laughs> there was so much equity in Randy in terms of the colorful, crazy, snap into a slim gym that was so embedded into who Randy was for so long that in tandem with the fact that Randy wasn't quite as adept at actually evolving his character. What do I mean by that? You could put him in black and white. He's still going to do the same stuff. Oh yeah. And he's got the fringe on his black and white, right? Remember some of the t-shirts he used to wear. He still had a lot of that. Oh yeah. Macho man. Randy Savage as a part of his NWO character, which I think in a way kept him from really making that 180 degree evolution into a real heel. He still hung on to, yeah, to the point that he wouldn't have been able to be that guy. Hulk Hogan made a dramatic character change. He went from being the red and yellow version of, oh yeah, to being something that was completely the opposite, visually, character-wise, everything. Randy hung on to the Macho Man quite a bit, even when he was in the NWO. And I think that mitigated his ability to really transform into being something other than what people remembered him being. That makes sense. Did you have conversations with Randy about that? I, I, I asked because I know Hogan didn't start that way. Those famous promos that they cut as a trio, Hogan, Hall and Nash originally. 
uh, Hall and Nash were kind of looking at themselves because Hogan was still doing Hogan esque promos mm -hmm. and the producer said, Oh no, I can make it work. They're going to add some effects, do some jump cuts, do it in black and white, shoot it at an angle, like the old villains on Batman. And it came off phenomenally. The idea is they sort of worked around what Hogan was doing. And eventually, of course, we know Hogan got with it and came out with the fingerless gloves and play an air guitar and did some different stuff. Uh, do you think Savage could have made that leap or did you have that conversation with him and he just wasn't willing to, or wasn't able to never had the conversation, you know, and that I should have again, knowing now what I didn't know then. Yeah, I absolutely. Cause I would have just like, I was able to describe to you why Randy was never able to do that because he hung on so much to some of those things that reminded people of who he really was as the macho man. Um, but I didn't, I didn't partly because I probably didn't understand it. I didn't see it the same way I see it. Now I can talk about that stuff now because I'm, you know, a little smarter, a lot more experience and have learned a lot since then. But I was, we were learning as we went at that point. And I certainly didn't recognize what I just described to you then, but I want to go back to Hulk and the transition of his character, because you're absolutely right. It, it wasn't like overnight, he became the NWO Hulk Hogan that everybody ultimately got with like weeks and months later. I think I've heard interviews or read them where Hulk, especially after Scott passed Hulk will tell you that Scott Hall and to, to a degree, Kevin Nash taught him taught Hulk how to be that NWO character. Because when we first put it together, you know, two days after the big leg drop at Bash at the Beach, you're absolutely right. I remember it like it was five minutes ago. Um, we're all sitting in a in a studio at the Disney MGM lot. We got to cut some promos. And I was in the room, and I'm watching three guys who had individually been so used, especially, especially Hulk. He'd been just doing it longer and been at the top longer. So used to being... The only guy in that promo, Hulk Hogan standing there next to Mean Gene and Hulk Hogan having carte blanche to go as long as he felt like he wanted to go to help get his character over. Hulk Hogan had 20 years of that experience under his belt at that time, right? It wasn't easy for Hulk to just go, okay, I'm a different cat now. When I get that microphone, I'm going to be a different character. It didn't come naturally. But as I think I remember Hulk saying in an interview or reading in an interview, Hulk attributed much of Hulk's ability to become that NWO character. He attributed it to Scott Hall primarily and Kevin Nash. He learned from them how to become the NWO Hulk Hogan beyond the leg drop and the heel turn. And that promo that you just described, and here's how it started out. It's going to be sketchy because it happened a couple minutes ago, but we're backstage in this, soundstage where we we're cutting all of our promos at the time to be inserted in our various shows. I was like, okay, let's get Scott. And I mean, this was literally right after bash of the beach. Let's get them together. And we're going to do a you know promo with the three of them. Hulk, you go first and Scott and Kevin. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one, go. And each of them were so used to having the floor to themselves that it was like, it would be a 45 minute promo. <laughs> right. And it didn't fit. You know, they did. There was, it was anything but seamless. It 
It's just three individual promos with three guys who are not used to being a trio. Right. And that's when I don't know. I, I always give credit to Craig Leathers. It might have been somebody that worked for Craig that came up with the idea. Now let's do it this way. Let me let me edit, just let me go edit this. Let's just do random stuff. You guys just throw lines out. I'll make it work in post. That wasn't my idea. That was somebody else's idea. Like I said, I usually attribute it to Craig because it was his team that did it. But they came back with that black and white, you know, grainy film, you know, verite kind of style. And it was magic. But it was it was magic that was born out of necessity because the other way we were doing it just wasn't going to work. But through the process of, you know, once Hulk saw that, we all saw it. Went, holy crap! Never seen anything like this. This is cooler and and more cutting edge than anything that had existed in professional wrestling in the thirty years that preceded it. My opinion. It was really cutting edge stuff that no one had seen before. And right there, it's going to work when you do something that's so different than and done well. You know, you have a winner. And I think it was that process of re- of Hulk realizing what Scott actually brought to that style of promo and the cool factor and Kevin that Hulk went, okay, I got to up my game here. You know, if I'm going to keep up with these two, I, I, I got to quit being red and yellow Hulk Hogan and really become the NWO Hulk Hogan and Hulk or Terry Bollea Hulk Hogan gives a lot of credit to both Scott and Kevin for that. It's uh it's super fun to think about how all this evolved, but one of the big pieces that we haven't really touched on is Sean Waltman. You wrote in your book in late 97 or early 98, 98, we'd come to a verbal agreement with Sean on a new contract. We'd agreed on terms and sent the written contract to his manager, Barry Bloom. We also started paying him under the terms of that agreement. A few months later, someone from my legal department told me Sean hadn't signed the contract. And I called Barry and said, let's get this thing signed and get it out of the way. And I was hit with, well, we want to talk about the terms of the deal. That pissed me off to the point where I fired Sean immediately. To me, that was just a sleazy way to conduct business. And I have been exposed to a lot of sleaze. So I know you were upset with Barry on this deal, but as a result, uh, when you let Sean go, I think you created some problems with Scott and Kevin in the process. Do you know it? I mean, you'd have to ask Kevin. I mean, did they confront me with it? Not really. Were they upset? Sure. They were upset. Absolutely. They were tight, man. They were close, close friends at the time. Were they happy about it? Fuck. <laughs> Oh, there I did it. But it was kind of under my breath, so it doesn't count. Fart, no. Fart, no, they weren't. Yeah, no. Were they upset? Absolutely. Were they disappointed? For sure. Probably angry at me for it. But it wasn't like a big topic. We didn't sit down and debate it. I told them why I did it. They didn't like it. But there wasn't much anybody was going to do about it. But it did It did anger them. Yeah, it disappointed them. Pissed them off. Yeah, whatever. But it, you know, it was a sleazy thing to do. It was, you know, that's the kind of thing, you know, I'm, I'm really funny about certain things. Like I can forgive so many things or let so many things roll off my back, but there are certain kind of like foundational things in terms of the way I do business and the way I expect people to do business with me. And when someone says, someone gives, gives me their word, 
okay, I agree. Let's, let's move forward with this and then come back, you know, weeks or months later and go, mm, well, can we, can, I, I have a different opinion now. Let's revisit this. It's like, no, sorry. Your name goes on a list. It's not going to come off. Just not doing it. And I, I overreacted. I certainly overreacted. Um, I, I'm probably much the same way today. You know, you, somebody gives me their word, you know, or if I give my word to somebody, I'm good, bad, or ugly. I'm going to live with my decision. It's my decision to give somebody a commitment. Nobody forces me into anything. If I make a commitment to something, it's my choice. But once I do, I'm, I would never go back and try to renegotiate a deal ever. My pride, my sense of what's right and wrong will not allow me to do it, nor will it allow me to be on the receiving end of it. And that's not necessarily a great thing. It just is what it is. But in Sean's case, done with him. I've not spoken a word to Barry Bloom since. And really? All these years later, you haven't? Nope. Wow. Nope. It's just not someone I want in my life. I would never trust him again. Once, once I get burned, and again, this is not a great characteristic to have. Great characteristic to have. Actually, it's a flaw in my personality, and I recognize it. I try to manage it now, but nope. Once you prove to me that I can't trust you, I'm never going to trust you again. I can still do business with you, but I'm always going to be aware that you'll know, you'll screw me at the drop of a hat. So now, never never spoke a word to him. By the end of March, Scott is removed from WCW television. He's having some struggles and allegedly there's a big confrontation that Hulk and Kevin have about the direction of the NWO on thunder. And of course we see some of this play out on camera, but some of this is happening behind the scenes as well. Uh, how tense were the real life issues back then with Hulk and Kevin? I can only speak to what I experienced firsthand. Certainly I heard a lot of things and I'm sure there was tension backstage between them when I wasn't around. I'm sure there was conversations, you know, Kevin had with other people or Scott had with other people or Hulk had with other people that I wasn't privy to that reflected that frustration. But I can only speak to the one time that I remember. And I don't remember where it was. I think it was at a, a Nitro or a Thunder. I think it was Nitro in Casper, Wyoming, because we were on our way to Sturgis. And things had escalated backstage between them. I'd heard about it. Based on what I heard, I kind of inserted myself into it to help try to manage it and figure it out because I just didn't want it to screw up TV. I didn't want all that, whatever tension and heat was backstage, I didn't want it to end up on camera in any way. So I inserted myself into it. And I remember standing backstage at one point, there's Hulk standing there, Nash pretty much, I don't want to say nose to nose, but damn close to it. Scott was right there. And I could tell it was getting serious. And Hulk is not a fighter. Hulk, Hulk wouldn't step out of, he wouldn't go out of his way to swat a fly. He is the least confrontational, violent person. It's just not his go-to. However, <laughs> uh -oh. when he does get to a certain point or back then, 
it's very obvious. And Hulk was at that point. I saw them, I saw the three of them standing backstage. You could see from, you know, across the arena, it was not a fun conversation. So I inserted myself into it. And there was a moment, there was a moment when I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to be trying to break up a fight with three guys who could squash me. This is not good. It got that tense. Able to settle it down, take care of it for the moment. But there was, there was, you know, Hulk, he's so easy, you know, I hate, almost hate talking about him sometimes because the Hulk Hogan that I know, yeah, Terry Bollea that I know, is completely different than the narrative than, that people think about him. But he got to that point where he was ready to go. He was ready to go. And I thought, this can't happen under my watch. I cannot let this happen. Right. It was tense. I was, I was, I was pretty nervous about it in that moment. Well, I think a lot of folks uh, expect that when um, these two NWOs split, and it's essentially Nash has a group and, and Hogan has a group, that Scott Hall is going to be with Kevin Nash. But allegedly, uh, if you were reading the newsletters at the time, there was a report that Hogan really wanted Scott on his side when he came back, feeling like he needed someone else to make his side, quote unquote, cool. Do you remember Hogan being a big advocate for Scott? being in the uh, black and white. Well, Scott uh, Hulk loved Scott Hall's work. I mean, he thought a lot of Scott Hall. I and we did talk about it, but it, it wasn't, "Oh, I need I need somebody cool." I mean, it's not like Hulk didn't think he was cool. By the right, way, right, in that right. NWO character, he was cool as shit. Once yes. he found his groove, he was he, he had it. It, it. Maybe not quite as natural as Scott and Kevin, but he had the cool factor. I don't think Hulk looked at himself or looked at the black and white as not being cool enough. I think from what I remember, a lot of the conversation was in order to make this split feel real, let's split up Scott and Kevin. Uh, they were the they were the anchor. They were the two original cast members. That makes let's sense. split them up because that would have had a greater impact on the audience than just, you know, black and white, red and red and black. That's for story. I think his, his motivation was more for story and adding some depth to it than it was. I need some cool people over here, you know? Right. Well, let's talk a little bit. I will say if anything, by the way, you know, finger poke of doom, you know, sting should have beat Hogan in 97. That was the end of WCW. That was the beginning of the end, which is all like juvenile dirt sheet nonsense in my opinion but and, and, and it's a reflection of people that don't really understand what was going on behind the scenes at turner broadcasting at the time i'm not going to go off into that again but to, in my opinion the real death nail in the nwo was brutus the barber beef <laughs> thank you if sir. there is anything that's going to make you uncool yes that's it. It's Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Yes. I mean, if you saw Brad Pitt, like Brad Pitt's kind of cool, right? I mean, he is. Yeah. Or think of any other really cool contemporary movie star. 
Can you imagine if TMZ caught a shot of Brad Pitt having dinner with Brutus Beefcake? Pitt would never get another movie. Oh. It'd be it. Kill him. Kill him off as a character, as an actor. And that's what that's what Brutus the Barber Beefcake did to the NWO. I think that was worse than adding, you know, Michael Wall Street or any of the other people that we ended up adding. The minute you add Brutus the Barber Beefcake to anything, it's a joke. And we did. And I uh, say that half to be entertaining and funny, but the other half of me is absolutely right when I say yeah, it. Of course you're being funny. Hey, so did Scott have an opinion about, yo, if I'm going to be back, I want to do stuff with Kevin or is that not even, I mean, no. who cares, right? No. Yeah. I mean, Scott would share his opinion and Scott right. was another fast horse, depending on, you know, where his head was at at the time, you know, very few people that I've ever worked with that were more passionate about an idea than Scott Hall when his head was right. Right. Want an example? Yes. Crow Sting. I'll, I've talked about this before. I'll try not to repeat shit, but repeat stuff. But when Scott Hall laid out his vision for the Sting Crow character, I have never been, I have never gotten chill bumps listening to someone lay out an idea. I did that night. And part of that was, yeah, obviously it was a great idea. It was the passion. It was the, and when I say intensity, I mean in a positive way, the intensity, Scott was in his zone. It's like it was another human being that I never met before when I heard Scott lay out his vision for that. And by the way, I wasn't the only one. Hulk was in that room. He reacted the same way. Sting was over. He was, you know, sitting a little bit outside the circle, just listening. And you have to know Sting, Steve Borden. Steve Borden, not the character Sting, but Steve Borden, the person, very analytical. Like you could lay the best idea out in the world to Sting and he'd listen, he'd absorb it kind of maybe acknowledge it a little bit because the wheels were turning in his head and his wheels turned in a slightly different way than some people's. He was very analytical. He wanted to see that image and in, in, in that character in great detail in his mind before he'd lean into it. When I laid out Sting being the third man before Hulk Hogan, you know, stepped into the picture, um, same thing, man. I, you know, I, and, and, and Steve Borden was ready to shed the surfer Sting character and become something else. So when I laid out the story where Sting was going to be the third man, same thing, man. I couldn't tell if he was digging it or not digging it. No sell it. Just no sell. But the wheels were turning. And a couple of days later, he was really excited about it. So Steve Borden was not the kind of guy when you lay an idea out to him, Go, oh man, that's awesome. He wouldn't do that. He'd think about it for a couple of days. Right. And he'd come back and say, Oh man, that's awesome. However, on that particular night, because Scott was in his zone, and I think one of the best that I've ever worked with when he was in that zone, creatively speaking, Sting was like jumping out of his skin. I mean, there was there was no thinking about it. There was no analyzing it. He, he was, was in. in that 
that's what I remember about Scott. That's the Scott that I really, really miss. I'm going to miss a lot of other things about Scott, but man, there was nobody better. But Sting, when he heard that idea, he was all over it. I don't even know how we got into that. Well, something I know you're all over is Embark. I know that you love your dog, Nikki. We've talked a lot about Nikki here, and uh, they have a brand new purebred kit, and they have a breed plus health kit. I know you've used them both, and I know that uh, you'd pretty much do anything for your dog. I think most, most of us would. Um, and here's the reality, guys. Your dog knows everything about you, but shouldn't you know your dog better? Uh, I always want to know why my dog does the things that they do. Uh, I have ginger and baby, my wife's two little baby white poodles that I went kicking and screaming into them being a part of our family. And now they're awesome. And they're daddy's girls. Anyway, uh, we're excited to talk about our partner here in embark vet, the provider, uh, but we believe to be the highest rated dog DNA test on the market. And we want to thank embarkvet.com for supporting 83 weeks. I want to encourage you to go to embarkvet.com and get free shipping and save $40 with our promo code 83 weeks. Uh, let me explain. Embark is an incredible tool for dog owners. It's going to screen for more than 230 genetic health risks across 350 brands. And that's more breeds than any other dog DNA test. And I know you've done it. Eric, tell me about your experience and, and what you thought of Embark. Well, I, I was really fortunate in, in the sense that this is the, Nikki is the second dog that I got from a particular breeder that I know over in Oregon. And I know that when you know the breeder and it's a great breeder, they're very careful about what they call line breeding, which is, you know, uh, breeding a pup out of a, a female and then breeding it back to another dog out of the same litter, for example, or a closely related litter. That's called line breeding. And it, it, it can be good in some respects, but if it's not done methodically and professionally almost, it can also create problems. And so I was very confident about Nikki's DNA and all of that, but I wanted to be sure because sometimes there can be things in a dog's DNA that pops up that wasn't initially in the, the breeder's control. But even though I was really confident, I wanted, I wanted to know 100%. And I took, when I got Nikki's DNA test back from Embark, I took it immediately to my vet to analyze. Because, you know, in, in Nikki's breed, which is an Australian cattle dog or blue healer, um, they are prone, can be prone genetically to joint issues. I wanted to be well aware of that because if I had to, and I did, by the way, put her on a, a product called Dasequin, which is a joint health nutritional supplement um, as a result of what I learned. But here's another example of why I think this is so important because someone may be listening. Well, why do I need to know my dog's DNA? I love my dog. I love my dog. But why do I need to know my dog's DNA? Be because depending on your dog's breed. Now, I, when I was a kid, I worked in an animal hospital. I cleaned up after, you know, I cleaned up the kennels. I fed them, I, you know, I took care of them. I was basically, I was 15 years old, but I did all the stuff the vet didn't want to do. You were the pooper scooper. I was a pooper scooper and I loved it because I've always loved dogs. But one of the worst parts of my job, it, it would actually, it would, it would make me go back and cry sometimes is when a dog had to be put down. Yeah. 
because of health issues or in some cases injury, but oftentimes it was health issues. And some, and I was the one that had to go back and get the knowing that the dog was going to be euthanized. I was the one that had to go back. And after I've been caring for this dog for mm -hmm. sometimes days or even weeks, depending on the situation, now I've got to go back and get the dog, walk it into the vet's surgery room or whatever office. And I'd have to hold the dog while the dog was being euthanized to make sure when the needle went in the vein and all that. And it was a horrifying experience for me as a kid. It was hard for me. It's the only part of my job I hated. And now I reflect back and go, you know, a lot of those dogs got put down because they had, for example, German Shepherds, typically, St. Bernard's, typically, big bone dogs have joint issues. And so many of those dogs are inbred, meaning line bred irresponsibly, that that only makes that problem worse. Whereas if you know that in advance, what can you do about it? If you've got a dog and you get the DNA test back and you know that in this dog's lineage, there are joint issues, hip dysplasia is the, is the condition that I'm referring to that often occurs with larger breed dogs, especially those that have been inbred. Um, you can do something about that early on when the dog is young. Dasequin, for example, keeping the weight off your dog because excess weight only exacerbates the issue and brings it on sooner and in a more um, serious situation. Those are reasons why knowing your dog's DNA is something more than just, oh, that's interesting. Oh, my dog's got a family tree. Oh, I'm related to this dog. You know, and they, by the way, it's kind of like Ancestry.com. You get notifications of who your dog's related to from around the country. You can share notes and have conversations if you want. But I think more importantly, it gives you advanced knowledge of something that may come up that you actually can have control over to give your dog a healthier, happier life. Wow. Sorry, I didn't mean to go so far on that, no, but I actually, I really believe in this product and, and the information that it can provide because there's nothing worse than having your family's dog that your kids fall in love with, that you're in love with. It's a part of your family and then have to put that dog down or watch it suffer when actually you could have helped prevent it. It would be nice to learn a little bit about your dog, especially if it's an adopted pet, this will help you unlock their breed mix. As Eric has laid out very seriously, it will unlock and screen for genetic health risks. You can also discover their family tree and really now customize their care because the reality is the saddest day that anybody has in, in pet ownership is the day they lose their pet. So if we can do something now to keep them with us a little longer, why wouldn't we? Check it out. It's the perfect time to shop for an Embark dog DNA test right now. Embark has a limited time offer on their breed and health kit and their purebred kit for all of our 83 weeks listeners. Go right now to EmbarkVet.com to get some free shipping and to save $40 with our promo code 83 weeks. That's E-M-B-A-R-K-V-E-T.com, EmbarkVet.com. And use that promo code 83 weeks. Save yourself 40 bucks today. Let's talk about the Wolf Pack. Uh, how do we come up with the name, the Wolf Pack? Do you remember who, who deserves the credit for that name? I don't. I wish I did. What, what, here's who wouldn't surprise me. At the top of that list of people that it wouldn't surprise me, um, I'd say I'd go with Scott first. Kevin 
right, not even behind him, next to him. That one would be too close to call. And in the third position, I would say Conan. Had to be one of those three. What about the the uh, the colors, the red and black? Do you remember who would have come up with that, or who would have been a big advocate for red? I do not. I, I the don't. music. Any memories of how we came up with the music? Yeah, that 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 would have definitely been Scott and Kevin. I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I would bet heavily on that. Because I mean, and Conan too, man. They were they were like the three amigos. Um, they were almost one when it came to the vibe. And the just the feel and the presence of the wolf pack, they were so simpatico that it would hard it was hard to distinguish one idea from the other, which is probably why I'm drawing a blank. But of of the three of them, I don't know, man. That's too close to call. Too close to call. The first three members to walk out on that fateful night, May 4th here in 1998 is Randy Savage, Kevin Nash, and Conan. Why those three to start? Strongest, strongest characters. Yeah. I mean, who else? (laughs) I mean, again, especially with Scott and Kevin, they represented, they were the catalyst. They were the guys that planted the seed for the NWO. So it would be ridiculous not to have them involved. And Conan, again, because of the, just what he brought to the table as a character, you've heard me say this before, it was all about casting. You couldn't possibly have casted the, the Wolfpack any better than those three. Talk, talk to me about um, the other channel, you know, uh, this is happening in May of 98 in April of 98 is the first time that Monday night raw beats nitro and ends that historic 83 weeks. Of course, the chief storyline that everybody's talking about on the other channel is Mr. McMahon versus stone cold, Steve Austin. Did that have, did that factor into the decision of the timing of the wolf pack or is it totally unrelated? Okay. No, it was, I mean, no, unrelated. Unrelated. I'll go back to what we discussed a little bit ago. It was more of okay, NWO's kind of wow, huge success. We're, we're we're almost two years into the NWO now, right? By ninety eight, yeah, April, just a couple months shy of two years with this storyline. Uh, it needed a change. It it just gotten flat. It quit progressing in a logical manner. You started uh, off this program talking about how Kevin Nash was a big advocate for, we have to split it up. We have to create more antagonists and all that. Did, did Hulk and Savage see it the same way? It was time to do something different. I think they probably did. I mean, when I say probably did it, there was no resistance. I think everybody at one level or another knew that it just wasn't feeling the way it had felt for the previous year and a half or two years that something needed to happen. I don't know that anybody, I don't know that anybody came to me and said, Oh man, this is horrible. We're, we need to make a change. We need to figure out a way to breathe some new life. I don't, it wasn't that, but when the idea was proposed, there was absolutely zero pushback. Let's put it that way. Did you feel like WCW needed more, for lack of a better word, attitude? I mean, just seeing no, what, w, what the WBF was doing with all the, 
you know, anti-authority stuff. I mean, clearly you had been doing a lot of that with the NWO, but there was, as you said, a sense of sameness. Maybe it was getting stale. Is it, is it less about attitude and more about, let's just shake it up. It was more about story. Okay. It was more about how do we keep the story going? How do we keep the NWO hot? And, and without any respect, I mean, look, what was going on in WWE at that time um, was powerful. It started with Mike Tyson, right? That that the, 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 that scene where Mr. McMahon's getting involved because Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mike Tyson are getting involved, and McMahon takes Ty, uh, you know Tyson's you know defense, so to speak. That that was the beginning of the attitude era that started it, that, that scene, that moment was the manifestation of an interview or a promo that Vince McMahon did late in 97, where Vince McMahon, I'm paraphrasing the hell out of this, but basically said, we're no longer going to insult the intelligence of our audience. Yeah. We're going to bring you more reality-based television, blah, blah. Oh, what he was really saying is we're not going to be a teen and preteen show anymore because Eric Bischoff and Nitro have been kicking our ass for over two years. By the way, we were competitive from day one. People don't know this when they talk about ratings and compare one to the other. WCW Saturday night was competitive with Monday Night Raw for a long time. But when we launched Nitro head-to-head, there was no more comparison. Well, there was. There was a comparison, but we were competitive immediately out of the gate. It wasn't until 96 that we were bitch slapping them, right? And by late 97, and Vince McMahon comes out with his, we're not going to insult the intelligence of our audience anymore. What he was really saying is, we're going to do what those guys have been doing because our shit is bad. It's not working. Our stuff is bad. It's not working anymore. We have to do what the competition has been doing that, that has put us in this position of being a distant number two. That was in 97. Now we're seeing it in the spring of 98. And it started with Mike Tyson. I've told the story before. When Zane Bresloff called me, I was somewhere in Florida. I was in Orlando, Florida. And Zane Bresloff called me. He says, you're not going to believe what WWE is going to do. I said, oh, Zane, what are they going to do now? Because at that point, I didn't care. This is before the Tyson, Mr. McMahon thing, right? It's like, man, we're so far ahead of it. It doesn't matter. And when he, when Zane said, no, they're bringing in Mike Tyson to shoot an angle with us. And I went, yeah, that's going to leave a mark. <laughs> and it did, but the whole red and white had nothing to do with that. It was just kind of happening at the same time. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, the, the thunder split, Josh, uh, one of our top guys over on, uh, at freeshows.com. He's on Twitter at Josh Henning 80. He says, if nitro became the NWO show. Would you have had the OG NWO versus Wolfpack NWO as a series of stories and matches, then having Thunder be all WCW versus WCW stories and matches? No, I mean, God, we've talked about this so many times. The idea was for the NWO to have its own show on Nitro. Now, would there have been, much like in the series uh, Sons of Anarchy, would there have been dissension and drama and conflict and story within the NWO on Nitro? Of course there would. Would the same thing probably have existed on WCW side on Thunder? Yes, it probably would. But there would have been talent 
that might not necessarily be in the NWO officially that would have been on that Nitro show, still competing, perhaps hoping for an opportunity to get that NWO shirt or slash Sons of Anarchy colors or cut, as they say in the motorcycle club world. So you would have had a core NWO. There would have probably been some competition and conflict and drama within it, but you also would have had talent that weren't necessarily part of the NWO, but on that roster. And the same being true for WCW. I hope that answers the question. Zoe Lopez says people criticize the crowded size of the NWO. Why do you feel like there isn't much chatter on there being too many spinoffs of the NWO, like Wolfpack, Hollywood, and LWO? Uh, I don't know. You know, I can't get inside of people's heads. You know, people like to criticize for the sake of criticizing. And in most cases, because they're just interested and passionate and like to talk about, you know, what if, or what could have happened or what would it could have, how could it have been better and different? And that's part of the, what, part of why the show exists, right? It's what you and I are talking about to a large degree every week. Um, so I'm not being critical of that, but I think, because the NWO had such a profound impact on the audience, on the industry, um, and because it grew big, too big, too fast, in a, in a not in a logical, progressive way, where the characters evolved in a logical, progressive way, it was just boom. Here it is, everybody. It started out as three. Now there's 34, 35, 36, soon to be 37 new members. It just took so much steam out of the story and out of the appeal for the story that I think that's why people talk about it the most is because it had the most profound impact on them and had the most obvious kind of um, critical mistake in terms of bringing so many people in so soon. Uh, Brian, the pastor on Twitter wants to know, did you ever consider remaking the company to NWO wrestling? So instead of just calling it all WCW, no serious thought into never, never, never got that far. Okay. Hey, coach Rosie, coach Rosie's with us over at Ad free shows. I just saw him post something saying, is this show live coach? How can we get any more live than this brother? Come on now. Uh, Tyler wants to know what was the reasoning for a second NWO rather than a new faction name? You yourself say different than not less than is the way to go. Why NWO Wolfpack and later NWO silver? Why not something new and fresh to have over the NWO? Uh, you know, I don't know how to answer that. Um, other than to say perhaps because I didn't feel like we needed something else. We needed to find a way to improve something that was already so successful. I, I think the idea of the NWO and the potential drama that could have been created. It wasn't, but it could have been created by creating that conflict and drama within the NWO had more upside than, Oh, let's come up with another one. You know, NWO was magic. There's a reason people are still talking about it today, 25 or 30 years later. There's a reason why people still, you watch any live event today, WWE live event today, and you're going to see NWO merchandise. You know, I, it, it's still out there. It still has an impact. It's still one of the top selling, or at least it was a couple of years ago, one of the top selling pieces of merchandise in the NWO catalog, which in which exists a lot of great merchandise. You mean WWE? WWE, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, there's a reason for that. And I think 
to answer the question, it was more about how do we keep it going and make it better as opposed to, oh, let's just come up with another one. I don't mean to be dismissive about the idea of coming up with something else, but I think we felt like we had so much gold, so much equity in this NWO thing that it was more logical to think about how do we make it better and more interesting as opposed to let's just leave it the way it is and come up with something new. All in Mike 51 says any thought to changing up the NWO logo besides the color? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That logo. When you go back and you look at the simplicity of that logo, go back and look at the merchandise that existed back then. Prior to the NWO logo and the t-shirts and the merchandise, go out and look at, look at the WWE merchandise that was available. It was all bad. Austin 316 and the NWO shirt changed it all. Absolutely. And the NWO shirt preceded the Austin 316 shirt. NWO, when you saw that black and white, simple, aggressive logo, and I know I'm probably... I don't think that I'm absolutely right about this, but I think one of the things that we learned is I'm going to dumb it down, right? Just for the sake of time, (laughs) I'll dumb it down because I didn't think about this in advance. It wasn't like, oh, okay, here's what I know, or here's what I feel. So now I've got to come up with an idea that reflects it. It wasn't that. The NWO logo was designed by somebody that we'll never meet or know that worked for Disney MGM studios in their graphics department, Craig leathers and his team. I don't know who for, you know, one person, but his team, and it might've been Craig worked with graphic design at Disney and said, here's this end up. Here's, here's the new world order organization. This is what they represent. They're, they're, they're anti-heroes. They're, 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 what's the, there's another word for it. Uh, they're kind of this kind of anarchy vibe to it, you know, and he gave the description of what the NWO was based on what happened to bash at the beach and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and all the story leading up to it. They took that creative, like I said, I'm going nuts over this stuff. I love this talk. They took that creative to some graphic designer at Disney MGM studios. Cause that's where we were at the time when we knew we had to come up with t-shirts for the NWO, we don't have one. What do we do? Let's go find somebody that can do it fast. We're at Disney MGM studios. Let's tag in their graphics department. Cause damn, they're pretty good. We tagged them in and that's what they came back with. They came back with several things, but that was the one we picked because it was simple. It's also a shirt that we learned subsequent to that. And I think the WWE learned, which when they came up with the Austin 316 stuff is you need to come up with a shirt that a wrestling, a guy who's a wrestling fan can wear at a wrestling event and everybody knows whose team you're on. But you could also take wear that same shirt out and try to get laid. Hit, go hit the clubs. Go and try not to be embarrassed to wear it in public. And not be embarrassed. It's like a, you know, a NASCAR shirt. You know, they're colorful. There's checkered flags and there's sponsors on it. And it's bright and it's got your favorite driver's face on it. Well, guess what? If you're a guy and you want to wear that shirt, you're going to go out and try to meet a woman. Lame. Good freaking luck. Lame. But the NWO shirt, you could wear it to a wrestling event and everybody knew which team you were on. They knew you, yeah, they knew that you knew, you knew that they knew, but you could also wear that shirt out on the street and not look like a goof. And that's why it worked. And there was no way we were going to think about changing that. It was too powerful. 
Tigers at the aquarium wants to know how close did it come to adding DDP to the wolf pack? Or was that all just a smoke screen? I think there was a lot of conversation. I mean, look, DDP and, and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were the reason DDP and Scott Hall ended up coming back to WCW was in large part, not because of DDP, but he certainly facilitated it. Right. They were tight. They were tight when, when Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were in WCW before they left to go to WWE, they were tight. And when they came back, they were even tighter. So I'm sure there was conversations, but I think DDP would tell you, and it's really a question only he could answer. I think DDP was pretty convinced that he didn't want to become part of a group. He wanted to be, he wanted to make it on his own without needing a rub from anybody else. Now he got the rub by not joining them and it got him over like crazy. It was like shot him out of a rocket when he accepted the shirt and then turned around and diamond cutter. I think it was Scott Hall. Um, that's it got him over, but I don't think DDP saw himself as being part of anybody's group. Uh, Adrian 2112 says curious if Eric thinks this storyline overall was the sort of tipping point or oversaturation in the market of the NWO for wrestling fans. Was there ever any discussion of pivoting from the NWO storyline overall at this time to the next overarching story? So had you not gone with the wolf pack, do you think you would have found a way to sunset the NWO no. and this was just a way to breathe a new life into it? There was no option. And by the way, coach Rosie said he was at the rumble and he saw hundreds of NWO shirts in the crowd just to add some credibility to my point of view yeah, um, or perspective. But no, there was no, it was all about how do we make it better? Not how do we move on from it? I want to remind everybody that uh, we just started a brand new series over at edfreeshows.com and it's where we sit down with wrestling royalty, Mr. David Crockett. We have his brother's Jimmy's uh, red books. This is from the handwriting of JJ Dillon from the mind of dusty Rhodes, And we break down day by day, show by show, everything that was happening in Jim Crockett promotions in 1985. Uh, we just posted January, 1985 last month. We're about to post February of 85 this month. And we already have March in the can. We're going through the entire year of 1985 and boy, there's a lot of moving and shaking. Ricky steamboat is going to leave the promotion in February of 85. We'll examine why and discuss the rumor and innuendo around that jump. And we're also going to talk about the deal that helped make WrestleMania possible. Yes. The Crockett's had a big hand in that. We'll talk about the entire deal structure, the rumor, what's real, what's not. And it all happens at adfreeshows.com. And had you been a part of adfreeshows.com just last night, this past Sunday, you would have got to sit down with Earl Hebner as we rewatched maybe the most famous angle of all time. Uh, the old twin referee heel angle, the, uh, the introduction of Earl Hebner into the WWE. We got to see Dave and Earl Hebner make some magic out there with Hulk Hogan and Andre the giant. And we watched it along with Earl Hebner and fielded your questions. We have these interactive events each and every week over at adfreeshows.com. And we have exclusive interviews you can't get anywhere else. Like with Gary Juster, which is a name you've heard a lot on this podcast. But how many Gary Juster interviews have you heard? Probably none, but you can hear one right now at adfreeshows.com. Of course, the best way to support the show is on social media. That's easy. Uh, it's at 83 weeks on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, the easiest and best way of all is uh, throw us a subscribe button on our YouTube. It's 83 weeks on youtube.com. You want to be sure to turn on that notifications bell. Eric is constantly posting bonus content there. 
that you can only get on YouTube. It's 83 weeks on youtube.com. And we've got a bunch of brand new merch up right now at boxofgimmicks.com. Uh, and you never know, uh, we run little promotions all the time where you can not only get some cool swag, but occasionally Eric is known to pick up the phone and call and, uh, thank our customers. So check it out boxofgimmicks.com, including the now world infamous mucker father hoodie, which is great <laughs> this time of year. Uh, if you'd like to get roasted on Twitter, that's easy. Follow Eric at E Bischoff. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And if you think we've earned it, throw us a five-star review. But before we wrap this up and put a bow on it. Uh, I, I want to find out how in the world it feels to be the number one book on Amazon. I just saw that not only is it at the top of the charts, but you guys had a promotion for 50% off. Eric, tell us about your new book on Amazon. Grateful. Yeah, it's fun. You know, it, it, Guy Evans is doing a great job, you know, keeping me in the loop on how we're doing at Amazon. Um, and it was real fun this past week to be number one in the wrestling category. I jokingly, you know, kind of created a little bit of competition between uh, my good friend or my friend. I said, we're not good friends, but friends, Tyrus, who's been at number one for a long time. And we were number two and it's like, Oh man, we got to get to number one. So I hit social media and got a big push. And so did guy Evans that afternoon, boom, all of a sudden we're number one, which is fun. It's just a fun thing. And uh, I think you'll dig the book, man. All I've seen is, is great reviews. Go read the reviews for yourself over on Amazon and save yourself some money. They're running promotions all the time. I just saw one this past week, 50% off grateful is what you need to look for on amazon.com. Uh, I got one more question for you. Uh, and I do want to talk about what we're touching on next week. So we're going to uh, do both of those, but first I want to remind everybody in my real life, I'm helping people save money at SaveWithConrad.com. If you haven't already go get yourself a quick quote. I'm telling you, you'll be glad you did. I'm going to help you get a cheaper monthly payment and I'm going to help you get out of debt faster. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners take their 30 year loan and pay it off in half the time. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I looked at a 15-year loan before. I can't afford a 15-year loan. Well, it's worth another look. Here's what we do. We take a look at all your credit card debt. We take a look at all your car payments. We see what your debt going out is. We compare it to the income you have coming in. And we try to see other opportunities for us to save you money. We routinely help our podcast listeners oftentimes save over $1,000 a month. But this you can count on. You're going to skip your next two house payments. You're going to get a cheaper monthly payment. You're going to cut years off of your loan. So let's recap. If we could get rid of our credit card debt and we could skip our next two house payments and we could get a cheaper monthly payment and oh, at the same time, pay our house off faster. What's the downside? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. We've got an A plus rating with the BBB and I encourage you to go check out our reviews. See what our customers are saying over at conradreviews.com. Our most recent one is a five-star review from Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Our man, Nathan gave us five stars and says, Great communication. Always felt like I was a priority. We're going to make you feel like a priority. Let my family save your family some money at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender, savewithconrad.com. Uh, Eric, one last question about the Wolfpack, and this is a fun one. This, I don't know why this tickles me, but it does. Julio wants to know, Eric, what exactly happens if you turn your back? I don't know what it's the theme song, Eric. Come on now. Don't turn your back on the wolf pack. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, 
It's not on my playlist, so I can't, you know you got to get some. I can't, I can't remember the words. <laughs> Next week we're going to talk a lot more about the Battle of WCW in 1998. It's Wolfpack versus Hollywood versus WCW, uh, and and Eric, you sort of touched on this: what could have been, and maybe what was a little less than. In two weeks, we'll be back talking about Super Brawl, where thankfully Sting is going to show up somewhat tan and regain the WCW World Title from Hulk Hogan. Uh, and we're also going to be talking about sensational Sherry Martell. Actually, we're doing Sherry next week, her start in the business, her time in the AWA, uh, from her epic WWF run with Randy Savage and Shawn Michaels and Ted DiBiase. And then of course, coming over to WCW, working with Harlem heat and Colonel Robert Parker and so much more. We're going to have a blast talking about Sherry. We want to celebrate one of these fallen legends. And, uh, we said it at the top of the show, but I've been thinking about the genius all weekend, man. Uh, thoughts and prayers to the Poffo family. I uh, hope that uh, they're doing as best as could be expected right now. This was fun today, man, talking about the Wolf Pack and how you guys turned on the money printer. Let's put some red ink on those NWO shirts and just let that dollar fly. That was it. It was a fun time. Would, would love to have the chance to do it over again, but am perfectly uh, happy and, and grateful to have had that experience. It was a fun time. It was an interesting time in the business. And I'll go back and watch it over at the network peacock. If you're not familiar with that story, go back and check it out. It's pretty interesting. Be sure to check out strictly business. It's going to be on your RSS feed here. If you're subscribed to 83 weeks, if you're not already hit subscribe button or better yet, take a look at the video because they often have guests over on strictly business. It's 83 weeks on youtube.com and it drops each and every week here, breaking down the ins and outs of the finances and the business of professional wrestling and the business that is the wrestling business. This was fun today, Eric. Thanks for the time. And I'm looking forward to celebrating Sherry next week, right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.